How's it going, everybody? This is Chris Adams with Beyond the Blind. Find us on Facebook, social media, Instagram under BTBN. Uh, we're doing that duck call giveaway. This is episode 18, I believe. I believe it's 18. I don't know, something like that. It's a, it's Monday. But uh, yeah, we're going to be giving it away probably on episode 25. So go ahead, subscribe, leave us a review, put the duck call in it. Um, go ahead and comment on the duck call picture on BTBN Facebook page and say that you shared it as well and it'll get you another additional entry into the giveaway. So that way somebody can get a hold of this call and uh, yeah, get some for free just for listening. I see a lot of you guys are subscribing and leaving reviews. Um, if you want to share an episode, like I said, go ahead and comment on that picture as well to get an extra entry. And uh, here in the next week or so, I'm going to go ahead and draw it and give it away. Today, I've got Jeremy Balderrama of J&D Calls. And uh, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about call making. He's from Central Texas. You said it was Brownsville? Uh, Brownwood. Brownwood. Brownwood, Texas. Yeah. So, what's going on today, brother? Oh, man, just living the dream in this hot heat, dude. It's like 90-something degrees. We have a high of like 103 tomorrow. It's dude. like melting. Really? We're, okay, so yeah. is it like western central Texas? I'm going to have to pull up the map now. So, it's like we're literally, um, Brownwood is literally like 20 minutes north of the heart of Texas. Good night. Dude, that is insanely like, hot. Uh, if, if you if you know where Abilene is, we're about an hour south of Abilene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were in just on the edge of freaking. It's like a bunch of desert and oil fields and stuff out there, isn't it? Well, man, actually, where I'm at, it's really not that bad. We got a lot of sagebrush, a lot of uh, some junipers, cedar bushes, and mesquite, dude. Mesquite is like the devil out here. Like people hate it. Is it an invasive species down there? It. Oh man, it'll it'll tear up a uh, pasture real bad. Like, really, really bad. People absolutely hate it. They try to get rid of it, and it's just almost impossible. So is it, uh, is Brownwood, like, is it an ag town? Is it uh, just, I don't know how big it is. Is it, like, a 500,000-person 5, town or bigger? Or what's going on? So um, it's it's a little bit larger of a town. I mean, it's it's still a small town, Phil. Uh, we got a lot of a lot of agriculture around, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, we actually have a, we actually have a big 3M plant, and so uh, we have 3M and Kohler, which uh, Kohler, you know, they do the um, the plaster uh, or porcelain uh, toilets and, and stuff like and, that, right? Yeah, the fixtures and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then 3M, our 3M company actually does all the, um, you know, like license plates and everything. They do the reflective um, uh, stickers basically for the license plate and for like street signs, um, for the reflectors that go on the road. All that kind of stuff. Nice. I worked at uh, 3M up here in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, we were the uh, diversified adhesives and glues plant for uh, 3M. And man, that job, I had more money than I could handle, but I hated every single second of it. <laughs> yeah, man, I actually live, uh, so I live a little bit ways away from that 3M plant, but uh, like I was talking about the agriculture. We do a lot of uh, hay cutting out here and um, some some crops. We do a lot of like wheats and things um, and oats. Like there's a uh, like so I live kind of out in the country, and um, they do. Uh, I mean there's a there's a big feed mill just right down the road that they actually sell a ton of corn um, as one of their big commodities. But during uh, deer season and everything, they sell. I mean you can go over there and pick up a pallet of corn for about two grand. So you're looking. Around your area, you're looking at uh, what hunting like little plyo lakes, farmland. What do, what type of hunting are we doing out there? Man, so so what? So it's crazy. I'm like one of the only duck hunters in this area. There's like maybe four of us. Like everybody else is uh, is deer hunters big time. And so for us, there's actually a lake just north of where I'm at, uh, Lake Brownwood. And um, you know, I've hunted it a couple times. There's a number of lakes around. I mean, there's uh you know, rivers and streams and all kinds of things. Well, our rivers are a little bit different than everybody else. You know, our rivers, you can actually, like, jump across. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, you, know, you think of, like, uh, the Mississippi River, it's nothing like that. But, uh, you know, I mean, those ducks love that little that little shallow water and everything. We have quite a few mallards, uh, pintail, I mean, dude, I mean, uh, gadwall, widgeon, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's been nice. 
Have you have you really noticed? I listened to a couple different podcasts. I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Big Honker. They're about two hours north of you, up by Knox City, and uh-huh. uh, they're talking about how much widgeon they have gotten in the last couple of years. It's been insane. Oh man, it's been crazy. Like so, I just moved up here maybe about two years ago, and uh, the year that we moved up here, man, my wife hated it. It was um, we had nights of nine degree weather she was sick and we were living in a travel trailer for a little bit before we found a house and uh i mean but where i was keeping my horse at he would uh i mean there was a, a nice big uh, like kind of stock pond right there like a half an acre mm-hmm. and it would be covered in duck. i mean widgeon mallard everything i mean it was just it was oh man it made me itch just going out there but the the person that owned it wouldn't let me hunt it because it was right next to their house and they loved watching the ducks no, I got I I hate that situation. <laughs> it just makes you cringe. <laughs> no, it's the worst, man. And up here we do a lot of uh, goose hunting, and I'm talking big local geese. You know, uh, the greater Canada's, and we'll find so many awesome places that are just plum loaded. And uh, you know, you go knock on the door, and the people are like, "Oh no, we love to watch them. They're so fun and pretty." And I'm like, "Do you ever fish out on that pond?" <laughs> And they're like, oh, yeah, we like to fish. I'm like, you know, their crap gets on the pond and it starts polluting it and killing the fish. Oh, really? Really? It does that? Yeah, it does that. And they're like, oh, well, go shoot every dang one of them, please. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, No, I hear you. It's pretty crazy. So you said you just moved up there two years ago. Where uh, Whereabouts are you originally from? I'm I'm originally from a small town called Alvin, which is, uh, I don't know if you know baseball, but you know Nolan Ryan. Uh-huh, absolutely. Who doesn't know no one? It's his hometown, man. He's, he's big time over there. Um, a, they're, they're very big on the hometown of Nolan Ryan. And, uh, I mean, it's about 30 minutes south of Houston, 30 minutes north of Galveston. Man, so, yeah, you're down in the heat of the world. Oh, yeah. Man, that's why I tried to get out of there because it was, uh, man, I mean, the mosquitoes would about carry you away. I mean, duck hunting down there on the coast, like being in that marsh was just, I mean, nothing like you'd ever seen. I mean, it'd be... It'd be January, it'd be, you know, 50 degrees out. And, I mean, there'd be mosquitoes all around. You'd be having to cover up mosquito spray. It was crazy. Yeah, you're down in uh, old Chan and Korea's neck, or you were from down in Chan and Korea's neck of the woods. He's talking about hunting in uh, yeah. the big marsh area. Yeah, he was up, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's up in, like, the Woodman's area, which is actually just north of Houston. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at a map of it right now, trying to yeah. get a figure. Texas is so damn big, man. Like it's. Oh, yeah. What, you yeah, could you fit the whole state of California and Texas two times over, some nonsense like that? You ain't kidding, yeah. It, and the, the the running joke in the Houston area is that Houston's an hour away from Houston. Yes, dude, it's insane. <laughs> uh, it's about six hours to get to Dallas, you know, for us by car. And then you get to Dallas, and it's another 12 to get down to, like, Corpus area. Oh, yeah, and, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's just so damn big. And it's so hot. Yes, yeah, that is, that is a fact. And the the problem is too. Um, so, so whenever I, you know, how everybody talks about cutting their teeth on waterfowl hunting, uh, you know, I, I started waterfowl hunting on the on the coast down there um, back when I was in college, back in like the 2010 era. And uh, man, one thing that that we ran across was, uh, you know, we have an early teal season, which is in September, and mm-hmm. I mean it's still like 80 degrees out. And so we get gators down there, man. And I, I've almost stepped on a couple of throwing out some decoys. Well, yeah, they're not in hibernation. They're I don't know what the hell you call it, gators. I'm not from the south, but uh, they go into that that hibernate mode where they just sit. But they don't go into that by September, do they? No, no, it's not till like uh, November or so. Like whenever big duck season starts, even then you start, or you still see a few like early on. So you don't use a dog or anything like that. Uh, not, not, not in early teal, uh, not on the coast. Like where I'm at right now, we don't have any gators, which is yeah. nice, but I, I have used, uh, I have used a dog before out there, but I don't, I don't take them out unless if it's like under, if we're not having weather under like 60 degrees. So now you're, instead of dealing with gators, you're dealing with like rattlesnakes and stuff. Oh man, don't even get me started on those bad boys. Yeah, they're pretty bad. Oh man. So whenever I first moved to my house, I, uh, you know, like I said, I have a horse, and so I had a I had a little feed bucket and there's a it's an igloo cooler on wheels you know mm-hmm. uh, I've seen a lot of black widows are in, inside my barn 
like, you know what, I need spraying here. So I grabbed on that feed bucket and I pulled it towards me and there's about a three foot rattlesnake sitting underneath that thing. Yeah, nope. Yeah, no, I, I hate them. I hate them with a the passion. Yeah, that's one thing I don't play around with is no freaking snakes, <laughs> man. So you, you grew up hunting the coast and uh, the marsh area out there. What type of ducks are we shooting out there? Well, actually, I, I grew up deer hunting, man. I, I really grew up uh, deer hunting my, my whole early part of my life. My dad wasn't a big wing shooter, didn't hunt dove. The only thing we really hunted was, was deer. And um, and then I, I didn't get into duck hunting until uh, about 2010. I was in, I was in college. And um, a lot of my buddies were really big into duck hunting, so they would take me down. They had a bay house on the coast. And so we'd shoot uh, gadwall, redheads, um, widgeon, um, pintail, pintail if you were lucky, and uh, some regansers and stuff. You know, some what people call it, like what people would call like a tractor and like the occasional buffalo head. So for the people that don't live down in the, uh, in the bay, I know what it is. But uh, what's a bay house? So a bay house would be like a house that's like right on like a like a cove of the of the ocean, basically. So is it like um, one of the ones that's out on stilts, out in the swamp type situation? Um, theirs wasn't. Theirs was kind of up on a little bit higher of a point, so they didn't have it on stilts. Uh, but th- it was like I mean, there was a lot of houses around them that were on stilts. Gotcha, gotcha, right on, man. So you move up there. What was uh What was the reason for the move? Um, man, just getting out of Houston, like that was, that was really the, the reason I was working for an electrical company. Um, I was driving all over Houston and, uh, just the traffic and the people It just kind of drove me and my wife crazy. And, uh, even though that was, that was where we were from, we were just tired of it. And, uh, so my parents actually bought a place up here, uh, just North of where we're at in Brownwood. And, um, they thought that it'd be, you know, nice to live up here and just kind of made the move. Right. What about, uh, were you there that last big hurricane they had? Uh, I, yeah, my wife actually worked it, man. She's a, uh, she's a first responder. She was a, she was a police officer down there. Dang, man. That was what, 18 or was that 17? Uh, that was, um, 17, I think. Right at the, right at the end of 17 into 18. Because yes. we, we were built here in January of 18. So yeah, yeah, 17. And, uh, man, she was in, they were in Deuce a Hat, or Deuce in the Hats driving around picking up people off their off their roofs and everything um i mean it was it was bad it was really really bad yeah that's pretty freaking wild man that's crazy for her to be out there in it and oh, yeah, i didn't see her for a solid uh for a solid week she was at work because they couldn't get out was it pretty bad like she couldn't get out because of the flooding or couldn't get out because they were just so busy yeah, no, they couldn't get out because of flooding. So, um, so she was working on. Uh, you probably you probably remember it was the Conor McGregor uh, Mayweather fight, and uh, man, there was people that were drunk that were driving home. And, you know, she's in her officer's uniform, and the waters are rising up. I mean, they'd be up to their window, and they'd be sitting inside their car, and she'd walk up to the window, like wait over there, and like knock on the window and tell them that they need to get out of their vehicle. And they were like, uh, no, I'm going to wait here. I, I got a friend coming to pick me up. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, your friend's not, you're not going to be here by the time that they make it. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, uh, so, I mean, it was just so flooded over there that, that they were just basically on call in the, in the precinct the whole time. And where I was staying at, luckily they built a retention pond right next to the house. So, uh, so we didn't get any of the flooding that other houses did but we were literally on like an island. Like you couldn't go five miles around my house without hitting, you know, almost chest deep water. Jeez, man, that is insane. It was, man. It, it was really, it was, it was something, that's for sure. It's something that, you know, that craziness like that brings out the absolute worst and best in the same time of everybody. You know, the sense of community, you see like the most craziness of people just being crazy and then everybody coming together. Yeah, you sure do. Uh, so you move up there to get away from all the Houston craziness. And uh, did you know family up in that area of the, of the state? Or was it just kind of a, hey, we picked this point on the map and that's where we're going? So so my, my family actually uh, originated just about maybe an hour and a half north of here 
um, that's where like my grandma lives and, and my, my parents grew up. And so they, uh, they were trying to move back up here to be close to some of their friends. And, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a really pretty area, man. I mean, it's, it's really nice. Nice. So they, uh, so you got up there to move a little bit closer to family and it was, was it, uh, just kind of like the community of Brownwood was something that you'd seen before or? You know, because an hour and a half—that's a big, a big area <laughs> of kind. Oh yeah, I mean, we were we we're actually like six hours from home, um, so it was it was mainly uh, so like my parents were going to be retiring and we're going to be coming up here, and uh, so that was kind of one thing that we thought about, and you know, we just really like we really liked the area. I mean, we met some really great people, um, some people that she she worked with, and we became really good friends with. And, uh, I mean, it just, you know, it just kind of all just kind of clicked. We just wanted to get out of that, out of that initial area. There were some jobs for us and it just kind of all just kind of fell, fell together. Very cool, man. The reason I ask is because it's just kind of fascinating to me. I grew up here in, in Springfield areas. I live just outside of Springfield now. And, uh, the only time I've ever moved away was when I was in the Navy and it was kind of like, Hey, this is where you're going to live at, (laughs) you know? And then hey, it's time to move. Here's your new orders. This is where you're going to live at now. And then I, I came back home. So just the thought of just completely moving to a, a new city, it, yeah, it's just it's very interesting to me because I think everybody gets a little stir-crazy. Well, so I, I actually, um, man, this is actually the first time that I've been settled down in a place for more than a year in the past 12 years. Holy cow. Yeah, so so whenever I was in college, so I went to Sam Houston State University, which is in Huntsville. Um, every year, so I went to school for five years because I changed I changed my major right at the end, um, and uh, I went to school for five years. And every single year, I moved to a different house. And then after college, I moved every year. And then so, so I was working for the the state of Texas as a, as a livestock um, the livestock supervisor for uh, the prison system so we would you know rehabilitate uh inmates and everything teach them uh jobs and everything and how to work with cattle and animal husbandry stuff and uh, so i was always on the back of a horse and uh, and doctoring cattle out in the field and that kind of stuff man some some really fun interesting things and uh, all on the all on the same time i was making duck calls uh whenever i'd go home and then I moved, and I started moving around to different units and everything, and being different units, and uh, promoting up, and um, ended up down in, uh, it was a small town called Angleton, which was right back by my hometown, so I kind of made a big circle, because I went to East Texas, was out far East Texas for a while, and then uh, moved back down home to, uh, to Angleton, and was down there, and that's where I ended up meeting my wife, and uh, and so, I mean, I've, I've moved around a lot, and then, so this year, it's been kind of... Uh, it's kind of been weird being in the same house for more than a year. Yeah, man, I can imagine. And just uh, that, you know, the job that you're doing, which, number one, is really, really a, a good concept because the prison system in the United States is just absolutely broken. And the thought of giving somebody a skill, you know, going and, and working and having that chance to rehabilitate is really, really cool. And for you, being on, you know, on horseback out there, rounding cattle and you know just doing that rancher it like it it's just so crazy from you know a lot of people will go in and sit inside a cubicle or work in a factory or you know just that lifestyle of being on horseback and being out there like that's just something that's so cool and is something that we've done in this country for god 200 300 years yeah it's it's really funny because now i'm one of those people that work inside of a cubicle well i have my own little office and uh, I look back at, you know, the Facebook memories come up where I posted pictures of being on horseback and moving cows and like, oh, my office is better than your office. You know what I mean? As the cat. <laughs> and, uh, and so I look back on that now and I'm like, dang, I kind of miss that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine, man. There's something romantic about it. Yeah. It, it really like, I mean, there's something really neat about moving cows there. Like bulls in particular, like it's so it's so funny the the sound they make. I mean, they make kind of like a very hypnotic hum, and it's um, the it's just it's something you got to hear yourself. I mean, it's it is neat just to hear. <laughs> oh, we'll hunt a lot of uh, 
a lot of farm ponds and a lot of guys that are running cattle and there'll always be that one bull that you know everybody's always on the lookout for They're like oh there's the bull keep your eyes on him you know while we're setting oh, up yeah. and screwing yeah, around don't back on him. <laughs> oh yeah yeah so you're out there doing that you said uh you started turning duck calls what so you started hunting around 2010 waterfowl, if I if I remember that correctly, and you said he started turning calls around 2013. Yeah, yeah. So what so, uh, what led up to that? So so what happened was is um so I was I was going out duck hunting with a lot of my friends and um it was it was really fun. I loved the whole the whole idea of it. Like you know, because whenever I was hunting deer we didn't have calls we didn't do that we didn't you know use attractants or whatever other than like some corn or some like food plots and so i really love the idea of, uh, of being able to talk to the animal and get them to come in and so i just kind of like fell in love with that like i i wanted to you know whenever i would see my buddies calling and everything i wanted to i wanted to do that because i, I felt like that kind of you know brought you into the whole to the whole duck calling or duck hunting and, and hunting the animal concept and so um so i started kind of looking into it and i'm like man, my, my dad was a big time woodworker um i mean he wasn't you know a carpenter by any means but we we did we made a lot of tables uh I, we made i have a gun gun cabinet at my house that me and my dad made and so i he taught me a lot of the a lot of the skills and everything that i, I figured that i would need for that and uh and so I was like, I kind of looked around about that time. There was some people that had posted a few things on, uh, on YouTube and everything about making a duck call and, and how to finish them and, and what kind of things to do. And, you know, CA wasn't that big at, at that time, I guess, because, I mean, you didn't see a lot of CA videos, but there'd be a lot of oil finish videos and everything. And um, so I kind of watched those and I was like, man, I think I could do that. Like, I, I feel like I could do that. And just so happened there was a guy right down the road from me that was selling a, a really nice uh, jet lathe, you know, not the not the variable speed one, but um, was selling a real nice little jet lathe with a lot of pieces and parts that I needed and, and tools and everything, and I picked up that for, for a really cheap price, which was great. And, um, you know, kind of just started jumping into it and just turning barrels and everything. Like, like I said before, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the guilty ones that would – doing the barrel stuff in it first which uh you know are kind of some of the ones that i kind of wish i could take back or make some inserts for some people if i could find them but um you know didn't really make a lot of sales but you know had some friends that would pay me a few bucks or whatever to turn them a nice little barrel and throw a little insert in there and um you know i had a lot of fun with it and then uh i started making some inserts and stuff and then I ended up getting into calf roping and, and doing some rodeos and everything and went up to Cody, Wyoming and, and roped up there and uh, kind of went around a few places. I mean, I wasn't amazing and I, I, I wasn't, a, wasn't a professional by any means, but I really enjoyed it. And I kind of moving around a lot, so I didn't have enough space to, uh, to turn. So I kind of stopped for a little bit. And uh, whenever we got up here to Brownwood, my, my wife asked me if I could make her a call because my, my parents had brought my, my turning stuff up here. And, uh, you know what? I was like, I haven't made a call in a long time. I, I think I could do it. So I ended up turning the call and posting on, on Instagram, I think. And somebody hit me up. It's like, hey, man, can you make me one? And then that one turned into two. And then that one turned into four. And so it just kind of blossomed from there. And um, been just kind of turning ever since. Very cool, man. It's always fun to hear, you know, how guys get their start and how everybody, uh, you know, so many different people have their reasons for starting and their their history. Somebody, some guys are like, "Oh, I was a competition caller." Or, I grew up around all these call makers, and then you have guys that are like you and I that nobody around me did anything to do with duck calls, and uh, we're all running, you know, box store duck calls. And it was just kind of like, "Hey, I bet I can try to figure this out. If not, I'll have some fun doing it." Oh yeah, yeah, man, and that's. That's, I mean, that's exactly how it was for me, and um, I'll tell you what, though, without without the help of Jeremy Chen, um, I don't know if you if you know him or not, but without his help, I mean, man, I probably wouldn't be making the calls that I am today. Uh, he's he helped me out significantly with a lot of things, and I mean, not I don't try to ask him, you know, uh, exactly how to do something or how to do this or how to do that, but I ask him like some some little kind of tips and tricks on some little things to kind of help make things better. Yeah, man, it's um, 
I think that's the best thing that you can have as a call maker is, um, you know, that guy that you can bounce ideas off of, bounce things off, guys that have seen something before. You know, if I have a finished question, 99% of the time, I'm probably going to ask, um, I'm probably going to ask, uh, Winger because he is the freaking finished master and he's done about everything under the sun. And, uh, if he gives an opinion about it or, you know, something he's seen with it, I pretty much take it as gold because he's done it enough times to know what screws up and what doesn't. And uh, I'm not going to waste my time or money on something that he says isn't going to work. Exactly, yeah. So I think that's great for a call maker to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. Um, uh, go ahead. I'm, I'm a little jealous of the guys that are the competition callers and everything because, you know, I mean, I've, I've called in a number of ducks. I've called in a number of mallards and everything like that. But, man, I do not sound like any, uh, you know, Domingo or – or uh, Seth Fields or anything like that, but it's always, uh, you know, it's always one of those things that you're like, man, I wish I sound like that, but, you know, I've called in these ducks, but... <laughs> yeah, right, you're like, I can I can do enough to kill ducks, that's how I feel all the time. Exactly. Uh, I can do enough to kill ducks, and I can do enough to build you a call, but uh, I know my place, <laughs> and I was at uh, an Arkansas competition in Stuttgart a couple years ago, and they were one guy short, to have a, a competition there was three or four people that uh you know were dads and stuff like that and in the stands and uh jimbo came up and asked me he's like hey man i need one more person to fill out this thing <laughs> and uh, he's like yeah, i don't care what you blow or how you do it and i was like i don't even have a call man and he was like uh well i just need somebody to get on here and step on and i was like oh, i'm running the live stream hold on let me see if i can get somebody to set up the live stream and, of course, I'll go up there and stink it up, you know, so that way they can have a competition. And the dad that was next to me heard me talking about, you know, trying to set up the live stream and get everything running. And he's like, you know what, I'll get up there and I'll screw up. I don't care. And I was like, you saved me, man, because uh, I have no interest in entering my first competition on zero practice. <laughs> yeah, I hope you bought him a beer for taking that bullet. <laughs> <for> right? <laughs> Yeah, man, it was uh, it was pretty entertaining. But I, you know, I stay in my lane. I know where I, I need to go, and I'm always, always trying to reach out and do different things, and you know, advance. But uh, I have absolutely zero interest in going and making a fool of myself. Yeah, and man, I gotta say, I'm, uh, I'm extremely jealous of you. By the way, you know, uh, I don't know if I have the, the, you know, gumption to be able to just cut every single call off of a flat jig and turn it every single time or to, to tune it every single time like that like and try to get the same sound man I've, I've done the flat jig thing before and I've, i made my own custom jig and all that and just that alone was such a pain in the butt like i can't imagine doing that over and over again well i appreciate it and my hands do not so <laughs> by, <laughs> by the time i've i've slowed down a lot and how i try to turn i was doing i don't know four or five calls a week for a little while and my hands on monday morning would just be so sore and uh adding this podcast to it i've really slowed down to like one or two calls a week because anything more than that i i mean i have a call to cut and tune and i need to do it here i'll probably do it tomorrow just because we're doing podcast today and it's uh it is a pain in the butt i sent uh korea a meme a while back of uh um, Tom Hanks on that stupid island where he's trying to start the fire. Castaway, yeah. Castaway. And he's talking to Wilson and he looks over at him and he's like, you wouldn't happen to have a, a thing of matches and he's going with that little freaking, that little <laughs> stick back and forth. And I was like, this is how I feel tuning duck calls every single day. You just, you just look at your flat jig and be like, you can't be a, a actual custom jig, can you? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm just so finicky and such to be honest, just such a cheapskate. I don't want to redo it ten times. Um, I know throughout the years it's going to get to the point where I make a bunch of custom jigs, but I really, really just have to be in love with one. And every time I think I get one that I'm in love with, I'll throw it up on the mantle, and I'll bring it down a few weeks later, and I'll blow it. And I'm like, I really like this one, but uh, let me try to hit this real quick with this cork notch and you know, just change it up a little bit. And every time that I'm like, hey, I'm going to send this one off, I'm like, ah, I just can't bring myself to do it. So I'm going to no, break man, down and have to do it this summer at some point because I can't go on much longer with it. But 
it's a uh, flat jigging man it's definitely uh definitely a beast yeah man I, I hear you on that though on the changing it up like even on my custom jig i'm like i tune one and i blow on it and i'm like man that sounds really good and i go put it up and then instead of sending it out like i should i go and i blow on it again and i'm like well you know it kind of sounds a little flat here well let me let me work on that or or ah well it's not getting the squeal i want on this end and so i'll work on that and you know it's just one of those things you just I, don't, I think with with us, like you know, people like us, that you just if you sit there and you, you hold it on your shelf for so long, you just won't be happy with it ever. You just gotta send it off, man, and just and just take a chance. Exactly, exactly. And you know, one of the things that I found that really helps me when I'm trying to go through it is if I'm tuning like three or four calls in a day. You know, like say I turn throughout the week and I'm gonna cut and tune everything on a Saturday or a Sunday. I keep. Uh, another call on hand so every now and then i'll hit that thing just so i know what i'm going for <laughs> because you start doing so many from flat or probably for guys that are on jigs too that you forget what you're even like you know what sound you're actually going for because you've gone gone through the whole range of different pitches and problems and every now and then i'll, I'll have a call and i'm like oh yeah i think this is pretty good and i'll pick up another call and hit it, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I still got a ways to go. This thing isn't nearly ready yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got in a little a bad habit of uh, I was cutting my reed down a little too much. And to me, like it, you know, like you said, you just kind of forget the sound that you're looking for. And I'd blow on it, and it'd be like a, you'd just barely blow on it, and it'd be a hot, like a good hail. And then you just kind of quack on it and everything. It sounded really great to me. And then I'd go and I'd grab like another call that i had on my shelf with somebody else's and i blow on it and i'm like man mine's like way too high like i need to turn i need to bring that thing back down throw another read in there and start going again and you know kind of bring it back down to the sound that i'm needing so i, I completely understand what you mean well i have to ask you a question because it is probably my least favorite thing about tuning is i cannot cut a straight line the first time to save my life on a freaking piece of read I how hear you. often do you toss a read Oh, all the time. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at, like, a pile of reeds right now. Yeah, I kept them for a while. Slightly cluttered, like, a funny angle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I kept them for a while. I was like, eh, if somebody ever decides they want to order a double reed, I can cut this thing down and give me another chance to do, like, a reed and a half or something like yeah. that. And I had so many of them built up. I mean, just 50 or 60 jacked-up reeds. I'm like, I'm throwing all these damn things away. They're going to end up building a pile. Man, I tell you what, one thing I've actually started doing that I've, that I've been trying to keep an eye on is, um, so I cut a few of them different widths and different lengths. So I have like some some that are like a little bit longer and some that are a little shorter, so I can kind of throw this one in there and try that and see how that sounds, kind of get me a little closer to what I, what I really need. And then I'll throw a brand new reed up behind the other reed, and I'll cut it just a hair long. And then I'll put it in there and try that. And if it's just a little too low or a little too high, then I kind of know from there. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I'll do is, uh, you know, going from a flat jig so many times, I will keep a reed out of a call that, you know, I had it set up for the way that I liked it. I really liked the way that it ran. And once I start getting that curvature that I like and I think that it's about time to give her a test run just to see where she's at, I'll throw that, you know, that standard reed on there. And it gives me a really good idea of where I'm at. Is because my drill depths and everything are pretty damn consistent. I don't even take. I have my own drill chuck for you know just the uh, the tone channel by itself. Everything else can be interchangeable. I can take bits out, but instead of having a stopper or anything like that, it just gets its own chuck. So it's always the exact same drill depth, and uh, it get it's made a huge difference in consistency for me. Oh yeah, and that, and like a lot of people don't think about, like especially, um, well, I, I say a lot of people don't think about some of the some of the newer guys uh, don't really realize is that you know every shoot millimeter, like a nanometer, matters on how long something is. So if I mean something's just you know point oh oh one longer than what the original one was, I mean we can completely change it out. It's just crazy. Well, yeah, and even, um, you know, a lot of guys will ask about consistency and stuff like that. And uh, they're like, well, how do, you, how do you keep it consistent? 
on a flat jig and i was like to be honest with you there's no way to keep it consistent what you can do is try to set your your measurements as close as humanly possible the things that you can control you know the depth the back pressure bore the length of the uh, tone board and the length of the barrel get all that stuff perfect so that's the same every time and hopefully you know you don't have a knot hole or anything like that in your grain and then everything is tuned by ear because you can look at CNC calls and uh, Jace Porter, who I just had on the call, the uh, podcast the other day, he sent me a picture of some RNT MVPs that he had, um, and he had like four different color MVPs. All four of them had a different uh, bore back bore size on the exhaust of the MVP. Um, I think all three had or all four had a different insert length just very very minimally but you know that's a cnc call and oh, yeah. uh, you know even cnc calls are not going to all be the same it's they're just oh, there's that one swipe of a tone board makes everything different it does yeah yeah definitely and i mean you know even even a computer can get it wrong sometimes absolutely it just gets you closer it's kind of like having that custom jig it just puts you in a place that uh it puts you in the ballpark and then you tune everything by ear after that Exactly, yeah. So I'm jealous of you and that crazy metal read nonsense that you just put a picture up. And I'm looking at your Instagram right now. And it looks like you've done a couple of those metal reads, man. Yeah, I've, I've done I've done three. Um, so Bear Lyles talked me into doing a, a small bore. And um, I've done a couple bullies. Uh, you know, the good old three-quarter inch bore, which is what that other one was. And... Uh, Man, they just they just keep getting better and better, you know. I mean, you at first, you know, the the whole the whole premise behind it. Well, I love trying different things. Uh, I, I don't know. If, I mean, if you're looking at my Instagram, you see there's a few different shapes. There's a few different this and that. I've kind of settled on a shape recently. And um, the one thing was was that uh, I love trying trying different stuff. Like I love making you know a couple of uh, wood duck calls or blue wing teal calls. I actually just made a blue wing teal last night. Uh, for a guy for a Ducks Unlimited group over in uh, Rockwall with by Dallas, and um, you know I I made uh, I made a cut down call. I've only made like two cut down calls. Jeremy Chen has one of them. The other one I have, and it sounds like garbage. So <laughs> the, the one that Jeremy had, he said sounds really good. So I'm going to take his word on it. Yeah, but, right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so and then the metal read, you know, I I started, I you know, and it's a. I take my hat off, and I'm I'm sad because good old THO is is no longer on online. Man, I used to go to THO for everything. If I had any like little question, like y'all talked about, like a remedial question, where it's just like I kind of feel like an idiot asking, or I just really don't want to ask it to somebody. You know, somebody had posted on THO. Yeah, and it and was they've just probably posted. Guy. They've probably posted eight different ways of how to approach oh, something yeah. too. Yeah, that's a the and biggest. It, and it was amazing. Lots of information. Yeah, I mean, just give you totally, totally different ideas and totally different views, and it, it could show you. And I understand why he, as I talked to the guy about why he, uh, why. He, you know, shut it down because it was costing him money and uh, okay. he wasn't really getting any, any money back from it. So, and there was, you know, nobody was, nobody was really going on there and asking questions anymore because a lot of the information was already there. So people had been ingrained to do some searches and would do searches and everything and find their, find their information. So there, so they really didn't have to have to post stuff. Um, so it kind of, you know, it, it helped, and then it hurt at the exact same time. But uh, I used to love THO, and so I, I looked up uh, I looked up how to make a, a real foot call. And um, I think it was Fred, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember, Fred Rowe or Fred something had made a how-to on how to make a real foot call. He used a, uh, a milling machine. I used a, a mill bit inside my drill press with a X and Y axis um, uh, vice, which works fantastic, by the way, in case anybody listening to this that, that wants to make a real foot call and is <laughs> kind of nervous about cutting a completely flat drill or completely flat tone board. Uh, an X, Y axis uh, vice with a, uh, with a drill press and like a, uh, a bit for it. I mean, it, it just, it works 
phenomenal. I mean, it, it you got you kind of got to take it a little easier than you would with a milling machine, but it, it works great. Um, but so I, I cut my first one, and uh, it turned out awesome. Like I was extremely surprised, but I followed his tutorial 100%, and then I kind of I adapted it to how I needed to turn uh, my coils and everything because like one issue was that he cut his all the way down after he turned his uh after he turned his insert well i messed up and i didn't completely finish my insert and so i had to kind of figure out how i was going to finish it um previously whenever i first tried it and so i've kind of learned a few things here and there some little tips and tricks on how to uh what will work for me and man this last one turned out great the yeah and those things man did, did you just go straight from his write-up or had had you messed around with a, a metal reed call in the past or anything like that? No, I went straight from his ride up. Man, like, that's break, just... Break What's that, up? I, that's just so crazy. You know, because... I don't know. I feel like... At least you'd made duck calls before, so you had the, the concept of what makes a duck call operate. But, uh, I don't know. You can... I'm trying to think of the equivalent. Like, you can read a book on how to do something... But if you've never done it, you know, some things are still hard to fi figure out in translation. So oh, I can understand. And I'll I tell you what, so I'm, I'm actually, uh, I told you before, I actually do uh, building inspections and things for our city. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, have a, I have an initial, like, I'm, I'm, I, I would say, I guess that I'm sort of blessed with the, the mindset of like a, uh, I have a mechanical mindset. I can, I can figure out things and understand mechanically how they work in a relatively fast fashion if i can kind of get a glimpse of it um so i know some people don't work that way but I just, that's just kind of how i tick and so uh like even with duck balls like i i didn't have anybody man whenever i first and i i mean i went off a public jig whenever i made my first call but even off a public jig you know if you don't know how to how to drill the tone board out or the tone channel and uh and you drill it too short or whatever, and it doesn't make a sound, you know, then you got to kind of figure out, like, okay, what do I need to do from here? You know, if you don't have anybody, like, there wasn't Facebook groups, and then I didn't really post, I didn't really post anything, as far as I remember, on, on THO, on, you know, you know, where do I stand here to get this, or, or I can't do a feeding chuckle on this, so how do I stand, or where do I stand on the tone booth for that? I didn't really ask that. I kind of just played around with it. And, man, I know y'all talked about, uh, having the the very first duck call that you turn i still have mine and man it still sounds like it's probably still one of my better calls that i've ever made it's, really? it's kind of boom. yeah it's uh it's more of a uh more of a really quiet timber call is is kind of how it how it turned out and um man it it actually sounds pretty good i've, I've called in quite a few ducks with it and uh, i actually retired it um last year i uh I called in a I called in a few mallards and everything. Um, called in some greenheads uh, on a on a flu that like, had basically no ducks on it. And whenever they came flying in, they just dropped out of nowhere and it blew me away because I was in a really wooded area, couldn't really see anything flying around, and kind of took a chance on it and ended up calling with the birds. And um, after that, I just kind of set it off and was like, okay, never never taking that one out again. Yeah, no joke, man. That's freaking wild. Mine, uh, my first one sounded like hot garbage. <laughs> But I tell you what, there was a number of them after that trying to recreate that same thing that turned out like a bunch of hot garbage, like a big old dumpster fire. Yeah, I think I had about the first uh, 150 I'd like to have back. Yeah, it's it's like that, you know, you get that one that one good one at first, and then everything else after that just kind of turns to, turns to junk, and then you kind of have to, you're like always trying to chase that, that good one. Exactly. Well, I... Uh... No, I was I was talking. I don't know. Like maybe it was the, one of the ones that you'd listen to. We we're talking about the first ones, and a guy had actually sent me, or no, he posted up an old one on the Sunday call or the Sunday trade post, and it was a really old one. And uh, if I had estimated, probably be around my like sixtieth call, fiftieth call, something like that. Uh -huh. And uh, I hit him up, and I was like, "Man, that's a really old one. That's awesome that you still have that thing hanging out." And you know, I. If I find really old ones, I usually tell a guy if they want to send it back to me, I'll give them, you know, $50 off the next call, whatever. Just something to take it out of circulation, almost keep it as a, a memento for myself. 
And he's like, oh, that's not even the oldest one by I have by a long shot, man. And I was like, well, hell, there isn't too many of them before that. You know, I think I put out 150 calls the first year, and about every one of them shouldn't have been sold. And uh, I think last year I did 55, and this year I'll probably do like 110. And uh, that just shows you the difference in how I think I put that much out in like eight months the first year. But uh, he sent me a picture of the first acrylic call I'd ever turned. Oh, and I wow. think it was like the third call that I had. And uh, I was like, that thing is most definitely, if not the oldest, the second oldest one in existence that still that didn't get tossed in the trash when I moved. And, yeah, a trip down memory lane. Yeah, I was like, man, if you ever get rid of that thing, I would be glad to have it. <laughs> and I was like, but I bet it sounds like hammered dog crap. And he's like, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's not good. <laughs> I just had a laugh about it. <laughs> it's too funny, man. That's uh, that's just the way everybody has that same evolution and call oh, yeah. making. You either were the same as us, where you have the ones that you want back, or you were a guy that uh, went out and turned a hundred ins- a box full of freaking firewood before you ever sold one and sent- spent a year before you ever put one out. And uh, I don't know. I don't have the patience for that, and I don't have the money to do that. Like I said, if I don't ever sell another duck call, it's not going to break my heart. The only reason I'm not going to be happy is because I can't afford to buy the material to turn the next one. Yeah, man, I, I feel you there, and I, I had the same same realization a while back. You know, um, I can talk to to Bear Lyles about that again. Um, I was I was kind of going through a little bit of a, I guess a, you know, kind of you hit your highs and lows and all that kind of stuff. And I guess I was on one of my lows where I was like, man, none of my calls sound like I feel like none of my calls sound good. Nobody's wanting to buy one. Like I feel like I'm doing something wrong. And I talked to 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 Bear about that, and he was like, man. To be honest, he goes, you really need to look or to to take a step back and look at it and say, you know, I'm not I'm not making calls to make a million dollars. I'm making calls to basically because I because I like food, because it's it's something fun because I enjoy it because if that's not how you feel about it then you really just probably need to stop because uh, because it, it takes all the joy out of it. I mean it's just more of you know a job rather than. A, a fun time out in the shop or, or just an excitement of every time you turn a call. And I really took that to heart, you know, I mean, I, now I'm like, I'm in the mindset of, well, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm really not charging a lot for my calls. You can probably ask a few people that have bought some. Um, I charge probably way less than a lot of people do for how much time I put into some of them. And, um, I don't, I don't use that as like a, I'm trying to shortcut people. I use that as like that, I'm not trying to make a million dollars out of this. I'm not trying to make it into a full-time career. I'm just making calls because I want to make calls. If uh, Joe or Joe Blow over here doesn't want to buy my call, then okay, no big deal. I mean, I'm still going to make some. I, I just enjoy it, you know? Right, absolutely. And that's the right mindset to be in, man. It's uh, There's very few people in this world that have ever gotten rich making duck calls. And I, the majority of them have the last name Robertson and the reason that they got rich from making duck calls has nothing to do with duck calls. <laughs> you know, yeah. everybody else, I, I don't think anybody would ever say that Butch was rich or, you know, any of the, they, they lived well, you know, a lot of guys are living well now that own bigger companies, but, uh, uh maybe Fred, Fred is, a uh, he turned avian X and zinc into something, a monster, but, uh, it's, it's definitely not something to get famous or rich off of anymore. There's so many guys doing it. It's uh, something you have to do because you really love it and you enjoy it. And if you ever get to the point that you're not happy to do it, that's when you have to you have to take that mental break. If you're not excited to go out and turn, and we all go through our lulls of, oh man, I just got off my my 12 hour shift, and you know the the girlfriend or wife is you know maybe cranky with you, and the kids are being crazy and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you're like the last thing I want to do is go out and get dirty and hot in the 106 degree. Te- texas temperature and you know you just have to take that night off but uh as long as you come back and and you're happy to get back in there and uh as far as the price you're selling them for it's a it's a mixed bag because there's a few different approaches to it if you start selling too cheap that's what your value becomes and uh 
you know, not that you're trying to make a bunch of money off it. I, I'm the same way. Channing freaking will message me once every other week and be like, dude, you are selling calls way too cheap. Stop yeah. doing it. Stop doing it because you're killing yourself and you're killing the rest of us. <laughs> and because, you know, you're a call maker. You know how much work and time goes into some of the stuff that we do and the more complicated builds. And, uh, you know, I, I had uh, John Delbo. I don't know if you ever, you've talked to him at all. I, don't, I think that's how oh, yeah. you pronounce it. Yeah, we actually, we actually have a, uh, we're, we're working on, well, I'm working on a trade call with him right now. Well, he's uh, he's another really good one, and I I had the same talk with him. I was like, dude, you're, I I think he was selling like full burl calls for like seventy bucks, and I was like, dude, you were you're selling way too cheap, way 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 too cheap because I know what blanks are right now. Blanks are fifty bucks a freaking call, and uh, you know, not that you're trying to make a bunch of money, but you're putting in three or four hours of work. You don't want to come out at a loss or barely even. So it's a double-edged sword. You're not trying to make a yeah. bunch of money off of it, but uh. Well, I tell you what, man. Actually, one of the one of the parts that I save myself is I do my own stabilizations and casting. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. It, it makes a huge difference. So, um, I, and it's not like it wasn't like an overnight thing. I didn't just go out and buy a bunch of this stuff, but man, I actually uh, I looked into a lot of the a lot of the casting at first and found some stuff that I could do and and casting my own uh, my own resins and everything. You know, I don't use them for my tone boards. But uh, they, you know, they make some pretty barrels and some some pretty uh, some pretty uh, sleeved inserts and everything. And so, um, so I kind of do that is is one part, and I don't do a whole lot of them. And then uh, I do my own stabilizing of my own wood. And so um, I typically I haven't gotten any any orders exactly for certain stabilized woods or anything. So I mean that's kind of kept some costs down. But I just kind of you know I'll get like a hankering like ah eh, you know I have this this burl that's unstabilized which costs less and then i'm like you know i got my stabilizing chamber and everything i'm just gonna throw it in there and so i'll i'll do the process and everything and and get it going and i mean that's also fun in and of itself well yeah that's a whole nother art form and the creative freedom that it gives you to have the the start all the way through the end of the user process you know to pick what colors you want to do if you want to do double dyes if you want to do hybrids stuff like that that's really cool too and but i can tell you what like if anybody wants to get into it be be prepared to uh lose a few a few blanks that didn't exactly turn out until you figure out the process well i can't i can't just say the process because i mean there's a lot of write-ups and stuff about it but my process isn't even isn't even 100 percent. but i've gotten some pretty good pretty good stuff out of it well and it's not a freaking cheap venture too it's just like call making or freaking duck hunting is a it's an expensive one to get into oh yeah and it can be dangerous man i mean i don't know if you ever looked at like implosions or anything but <laughs> i mean pulling a vacuum on a on a chamber that's pre-made or that's that you made yourself it, it can be kind of scary <laughs> yeah yeah it can definitely get sketchy man you turn your uh turn in the garage into a little bomb inside of it <laughs> exactly just make sure you don't have your hands next to it and you'll be all right <laughs> oh man that, yeah I'm, the yeah no that's pretty wild man well that's really cool and there's just you know a lot of guys go out there and hunt and uh will go up and get off on the weekend and go wake up on saturday sunday do their hunts with their couple buddies and that's you know what 90 percent of waterfowling is and I oh, yeah. feel like there's there's levels to this waterfowl thing, and uh, there's nothing wrong with the guys that are just going out there and doing that. I spent a lot of time just doing that, and then you dabble into uh, you know expanding waterfowl season to make it year round, where some guys get into getting a puppy and starting to do dog work, and some guys do decoy carving and call making or stabilization. It's just a way to stay involved with it, man. Yeah, that decoy carving, man, that's that's an art form right there. I mean, call making in and of itself is an art form, but taking a chunk of wood and turning it into looking like a duck and painting it and everything, I mean, that's I, hats off to all those guys, man. I mean, it is it is cool. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. I I don't have the, uh, the patience for it. I'm sure I could get into it, but I've said this before. I don't need another dang hobby. I think I would get <laughs> killed if I came home with another hobby. Hey... I know oh, I'm already yeah. doing this podcast, call making, every other mountain biking thing that I want to get into. <laughs> but, but I really think decoy carving would be really awesome. 
then you just get I, that. You don't want to spend any time with me at all, do you? <laughs> oh, yeah, that glare, that, that deep glare. I've gotten that a number of times. And I know my wife's going to listen to this. And, uh, sweetheart, I love you, um, but you definitely give me a glare. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's the pretty normal. And managing and being aware of that is the most important because, uh, oh, yeah. you know, like I said, you get into a get into a little bicker match and you're like, oh, I'm going to go out to the shop because this is my sanctuary and place to calm down. And then before you know it, it ends up making the whole dang thing worse. Oh, yeah. Or or you just like, oh, well, I'm just going to step out to the shop for a few minutes and then that few minutes turns into four hours and then turns into six hours and the next thing you know, it's dark outside. Oh, God. So many times, man. Like, especially, you know, I get home at like five or six at night most of the time and we'll do dinner and we'll hang out and do some stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go out to the uh, the shop and work on this. You know, I'm like, come get me after an hour. Come outside and tell me when it's been an hour. Because I'll listen to a podcast or something, throw on some Netflix, and uh, then all of a sudden I'll look at the clock and it'll be three hours. And I'm like, hey, you never you never came and got me. It felt like it had been an hour. She's like, oh, yeah, I know. that You're just you're happy out there doing your thing. I didn't want to bother you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm really appreciative of that, but come out and get me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man Cause, uh, I, uh, so I was, so was going to tell you uh, so I know we talked about you know duck hunting over here in Texas and all the different breeds and everything that we see but uh, the one thing I forgot to mention man, is that I've been doing some uh, some kayak duck hunting this past season and man I tell you what, if, if it's something you haven't tried I highly recommend it so are you doing it on uh, yeah that's right are you doing it in like little sloughs or are you doing it in like open big open water um, so I've done it in big open water. I've done it in sloughs. So I, I have a uh, a little, I have a um, a Ascend H12 kayak, which so it's it's kind of geared from um, the, I think it's a company out of or a company from Bass Pro makes it, and uh, they have like a little blind and everything for it that has like the little tie tie hooks on it for mm-hmm. uh, tying off some some uh, grass or brush or whatever you want. And uh, got little flip doors and everything, and it just kind of rolls out. And it's got a little hammock seat. And you just kind of lay down in it like a layout line. And uh, man, I tell you what, like at first I was kind of nervous about shooting out of a kayak, but shooting out of that one, man, it has been a blast. I mean, it's been the most fun I've ever had hunting. So, are you running like you said you're hunting some open water? Are you running like long lines on it? No, no, not not that kind of open water. Uh, more of like a lake open water, like little kind of coves set back with some uh, some brush and stuff in there and throwing out maybe like a couple dozen decoys at most and uh, throwing those out there. But, man, I tell you what, I've had so many birds, like, early in the morning before shooting light, sitting there kind of calling just a little bit, you know, just like a little like, slight quack and stuff, and having birds literally land like five yards from me at most. Interesting, man. We have a... Uh... Truman Lake out here, which is a, a really big waterfowl lake. And uh, if we get our push of birds, like you get a big front, the birds are all going to Truman if they're coming through this part of the state. And the problem a lot of times is those birds will go out and sit in the middle of yeah. areas. And it'll be 300 yards from the shoreline, but the water isn't, you know, more than 10, 15 feet out there. And it's yeah. just kind of this big flat that's been flooded up with the lake. And I've heard other guys talking about doing kayaks and layout boat hunting with longer lines, but doing deep water layout boats for mallards and killing the crap out of them because they're all getting oh, out yeah. in the middle of the lake on the on the big front days. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something that's definitely interesting, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, It's a little bit colder up here than it is down there, and the thought oh, yeah. of being out in the freaking water... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can be so. So my my boat actually. So since it's uh since it's not metal, it doesn't really. I, I retain like because I wear like I wear waders. Like I'll unclip my waders just to be on the safe side. But I have some uh, some of those Drake breathe, or, uh, breathable waders, mm-hmm. and um, I just leave my insulator in there whenever it's cold. And man, I will tell you what, I've been more warm inside that thing to where I almost wanted to like take layers off. Because I was so hot. And, I mean, it would be like water, like the top of my blind would be frosted over with, I mean, of course, it's not getting, like, in the negatives or in the teens or anything. But, I mean, it'd get down in, like, the like 32, 30 degrees. Yeah, it's sometimes. cold enough for me, man. 
yeah and i mean it was but it was fun though i mean it was it was really cool to see that it was very addicting those um those breathables are actually worse for sinking than the neoprenes the uh well, the, I believe it. yeah the neoprenes will keep air in if you like lift your legs up if you ever fall in the breathables i don't I, i've heard they're worse for sinking so you might even think about uh getting like you know trauma shears or something to keep on the boat in case you fall in you can cut them off or something i don't know just yeah, a thought i also run one of those uh one of those waiter belts pretty oh, tight there you go there pretty, you go nice and, and then you kind of you know push your gut out a little bit and you're even better <laughs> yeah right just didn't want to see you on the news somewhere man that stuff is crazy Oh no! And a lot of the water that I mean, being in a kayak, man, a lot of the water that I was hunting this past year was maybe, I mean, even being open water, uh, a lot of the area up here, you know, it was it was pretty dry this past year. So, uh, so a lot of the water I was hunting in was no more than maybe like two foot deep. Oh, that's perfect. You, you just kind of stand up. <laughs> that's almost being like in a dang pit blind. For real, it it was. Oh, but it was so cool. I mean, I, I shot my, so we don't get cinnamon teal here very often. And uh, I shot two cinnamon teal uh, one day, and it was, oh, gosh, it was the best experience. I was going nuts. I, like, called my wife. Like, it was, like, you know, right at shooting light, and those birds came in. And mm-hmm. I, I called my wife. She was still asleep. She was so mad. But it was uh, it was awesome. I was, I was still did, excited. Did you pick them up before you called her? Oh, yeah. Well, oh. I, knew, I knew exactly what they were whenever they were laying in the water. And they were both dead as a doornail. Okay, so my favorite duck is a pintail. Uh-huh. We do not get them here. You will see a handful of them a year. And uh, we'll be covered up with them before season really kicks off and they move through. You know, they're an early moving duck. And we just do not get them in my part of the state. Hardly ever. I Usually I'll have a shot once or twice a year at them. So we had one year. We're hunting on one of our little farm ponds. And uh, I've never seen a pintail out there. And we had a pair of mallards working in. And a pintail was uh, leading them, you know, leading the pack down into it. And uh, my buddy's calling and looking. And he's following these mallards. And then me and my other buddy, uh, we're watching this stinking freaking pintail. And uh, he's circling in. You know, just get ready to shoot. Get ready to shoot. Get ready to shoot. My other buddy... You know, he's calling the shot. He's the hunt leader on this one. He's calling the shot. So he's working these mallards. Well, they end up bailing out. The pintail is freaking bailed out at this point. We're like, dude, what in the heck? And he's like, what? We're like, did you not see that pintail drake that had circled around like 10 times? And he was like, no. And I was like, dude, you, because he knows that's my duck. And he's like, you should have just shot the damn thing. And I was like, that's not how it operates for the rules you know, the hunt. So the next year we go out and we're hunting four rivers. I shoot one and it freaking, I, you know, I just didn't kill him clean. And he goes into the freaking weeds, sails off 300 yards. We send the dog out and it's just thick and thick and thick and ducks are still flying everywhere. So we give up on him. I miss him for the second year in a row. So the third year we're hunting out at a lake and we just have this big old bull come in, and he's leading another group of ducks. And we're, I'm hunting with the same buddy. And uh, this thing gets in shooting range. The very first time he gets in shooting range, I stand up and I shoot him. And my buddy just starts laughing. He's like, oh, you weren't going to wait for me to you know, miss that one, were you? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> so I start texting buddies. I'm like, dude, it finally happened. Dead is, The duck is dead on the water you know, 30 yards out in the spread, texting people and uh, getting ready to get up and get them, you know, after the next group of birds quits working. And my other buddy is like, uh, do you see that? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, look over there. And I look, and here comes a damn bald eagle. Picks, no way. Picks the pintail up off the water, takes him across the freaking lake, at the bank across from us, like 300 yards, and starts going to town on him. And just and just munches him down right in front of you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, w- I just started laughing. He's like, dude, I actually feel bad for you. And I was like, what can you do? <laughs> I was like, you've oh got God. to be kidding me. Man, do you, do you want me to make you, make you sad real quick? Oh, I know you guys get so many of them down there. 
so so last year me and a me and a buddy were hunting me and his me and a buddy and his uh son his uh his oldest son were out hunting and we were hunting this big conservation lake um on his parents place and uh we shot our limited pintail which was one bird and i kid you not it was the most beautiful sight i'd ever seen i wish i had a i wish i had a video camera but we literally had one i mean out of nowhere just landing the decoys just i mean decoy in I mean, 10 foot away from us, just, you know, kind of doing his little flat thing, just landed in and just chilled on the water for about 10 minutes. God. <laughs> I, I hate him now at this point. We'll be field hunting <laughs> birds. And uh, because if you ever hunt with a, like a lot, big tornadoes of birds and stuff like that, mallards mm-hmm. mainly, pintails will come in and absolutely screw up a good mallard tornado quicker than anything because they do whatever they want whenever they want they don't land with decoys they have no like they're either coming or they're not they'll screw around and they'll mess up every other bird in the area so now we get to the point if we start seeing pintails work we just yell at them get that you know get the hell out of here and let the mallards start working oh yeah Man, unfortunately, we don't have those uh, those mallards up here. We do get a lot. We do get quite a few pintail though, which is, which you know, they're pretty, but they they can be kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah, dude, they're frustrating. They just they have no rhyme or reason to them. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate you giving me some time tonight, brother. I'll uh, you know it's Monday. I'll let you get off here. I'm gonna go hang out with the family for a little bit, but uh, I appreciate you giving me some time and. I know you've been chomping at the bit to do it. Yeah, man, it's it was it was fun. I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of nervous at first. After a little bit of liquid courage, it kind of kind of went away. <laughs> Dude, that hour goes by so fast, doesn't it? It does. You don't even realize you start swapping stories and telling different stuff, and then you're like, oh heck, man, it's you know it's almost eight o'clock already. Yeah, yeah. But uh, if people want to reach out to you, brother, where are they where do they find you at? Um, I got a I got a website. Um, jndcalls.com that's j-n like the letters j-n-d calls.com and then uh, I'm on Instagram uh, Facebook uh, everything like that so uh, and then I've been posting a few on call nuts and everything so yes sir I saw them like I said I love I love that style um your Facebook is actually j with the and symbol in it instead of j-n yeah. 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 So the so the actual I, I'm actually an LLC, so it's uh so it's actually J ampersand uh, D calls, but you know, like the little at symbol or the the websites and things don't really like that ampersand sign. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we had to do the had to do the N. Very cool. Well, that's good, man. If people want to reach out to you, I hope they uh, give it a shot and not put me on the list for a trade, man. I like them. Yeah, man, dude, your calls are amazing looking. I love that style. And that curly leaf maple that you put up, whoo, I had to, I had to hold myself back from from pulling out some money to to put in for that waffle. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man, and we'll we'll do better, and we'll just do a trade that way, a uh, little less impact on the old wallet. Yes, sir. Sounds great. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I appreciate it, and I hope you have a great night. Yeah, man, you do the same. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Later. Later. All right, guys, that was Jeremy Balderrama of J&D Calls. Go ahead and check out his stuff. He's been putting out some really cool stuff. And uh, go in and leave a review. Subscribe to us. Get on the uh, get in on the giveaway. You only got a few more episodes, maybe a week and a half to do it. Um, share the episodes so that way you get an extra entry into the drawing. And make sure to comment on the uh, BNT the uh btbn i've said that in so many times today btbn uh facebook page there is a picture of the call and uh you can go ahead and comment on there and let us know that you did it thanks guys have a good night